Father God, um, as we uh, read um, this psalm today, please speak to us, um, uh, speak to our hearts deeply and, uh, and change us and shape us. Um, yeah, give us ears to ear, hear and eyes to see uh, in the deepest and truest sense, uh, we pray for your glory. Amen. Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Well, Steve mentioned this is the last of our um, five weeks in the Psalms. It's been a really, uh, a really challenging and refreshing and stretching series as we've tried to take in the whole sweep of some of the uh, things that the Psalms, some of the emphases that the Psalms bring out to us. Um, next week we're going to be returning to our long-term series through John's Gospel, so look forward to that. Uh, but this psalm is a great psalm to finish with. Um, before we get to the psalm, though, uh, I wanted, wanted to show you this picture. It's uh, tucked away on in a busy intersection in Sydney. Uh, you know, it's a sandstone monument. It's easy just to pass it by. Um, it's a monument that marks something that has happened almost exactly 130 years ago to the day, or yesterday to the, t- to the day, on the 3rd of February, 1788. It was on this spot, it, was, it wasn't surrounded by high-rise buildings, it was on this spot, surrounded by um, scrub and for the people there, the unfamiliar sound of kookaburras and magpies. Uh, it was on that spot that the very first Christian church service was held in Australia. It was just days after the first fleet arrived in Port Jackson and uh, it was led by the fleet's um, chaplain, a man called Richard Johnson. 
Um, so you've got this group of roughly about a thousand people. Uh, they'd spent months on treacherous seas. Most of them were there by force as convicts. Uh, they'd left everything familiar to them and they'd found themselves in this situation where they had to make a new life from scratch. And you can imagine this guy, this chaplain to the first fleet, Richard Johnson, you can imagine him standing there, right, in front of this motley crew uh, of officers and convicts and officials. Um, you know, what, what must he have been thinking? What could he say to a group like this? Uh, so he, there he is, and he gets up in front of everyone, and he opens his Bible, and he reads out these words. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits to me? What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits to me? There are, of course, words from the psalm that we're looking at today in an older version. Uh, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits to me? It's remarkable, isn't it? At the very first church service in this country, uh, this is the psalm that was read out and that Richard Johnson preached from. It's, it's a psalm overflowing with thankfulness to God. Um, and so it's actually it's a very Aussie psalm, Psalm 116. But of course, on another level, it's not really that much of an Aussie psalm, is it? Um, there's, a, uh, uh, it's, there's a kind of cynicism in our culture, right, in our kind of cultural DNA that makes us pretty uncomfortable with great expressions of thankfulness. Um, we're a bit suspicious of them. If someone comes up to you and gushes their thanks all over you, you kind of think... You kind of pull back a bit and you think, well, all right, all right, calm down, steady on, easy up. And then you, our suspicion kicks in and we think, now what do you want from me? <laughs> uh, but this is a psalm overflowing with thankfulness. There is no hint of kind of fakeness or manipulation about it. Uh, it it's not a kind of sappy, sentimental um, psalm. It, uh, what this part of God's Word does hold out though is a heart that has been gripped so deeply and has been softened so much uh, that the one who experiences it just can't help but be filled with genuine and overwhelming thankfulness um, as I said it's, I think it's a good way to finish up our psalm series there's a kind of logic to the whole way it's been put together. We started right at the start of the year with the big picture of the Psalms, one of the last Psalms, thinking about how our life is lived in praise and worship to God. Um, then we looked at Psalm 51, this great Psalm of repentance and faith. Um, this is what we're made for, to praise God, to live our li whole life in worship of Him, but we don't do that. We, we live our own way. We put ourselves on the throne of our hearts. Uh, but God in his kindness invites his people to come and repent of that, to put their trust in him, to receive his forgiveness and new life. Um, then we looked at Psalm 46, this psalm of confident trust as the, the kind of character of this new life um, that Christ brings us into, that God brings us to. Um, the confidence in God and his eternal purposes. But then uh, last week we looked at this Psalm 73, recognising that um, though Psalm 46 and the trust and confidence we can have in God is true in ourselves, we, we just go up and down in life, right? And we have moments of real doubt, envy, struggle, bitterness. Psalm 73 
addressed that and through it all God's gentle and guiding grace was there for the person who wrote that psalm. And now here, Psalm 116, flowing out of all of that, flowing out of all of that, this response of thankfulness, this response of thankfulness and service to this, this God who has poured out his goodness. Psalm 116, verse 1. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Uh, we find out as we read this psalm, it's, this is a, someone who's been through a real time of trouble. Um, his soul has been anxious and restless and in turmoil. Uh, but against all hope, really, he finds himself delivered um, from this. He finds himself saved. Uh, uh, God has given his troubled soul rest, we find. God has given him peace. And his thankfulness, as he starts this psalm, his thankfulness just flows out of him. I love the Lord. For you heard my voice, you heard my cry for mercy. Uh, the reason this isn't just put on, right? the reason it isn't just a fake kind of thing, um, the reason it's such a free genuine response of his heart is because of just how deep his trouble was. Um, He was in serious trouble and the kind of relief that he felt coming out of that as as he was saved from that, um, all he could do was to muster up or was to give God this this, um, gratitude and overflowing thanks. Uh, but it was all in the, the kind of backdrop of the trouble that he was in. And that's where he goes on to, verse 3, these dark shadows of what he's been through. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the uh, not in- I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Uh, we're not exact- he doesn't tell us exactly what he went through, uh, but it took him right to the depths um, he was confronted in some way by his own death, by the reality of the end of his life. And it stirred up within him this deep anguish, this, dis- this distress, this sorrow. Uh, he describes himself as feeling just st- straightjacketed by these cords around him that bring him low. He, he is brought low. Uh, but even there... Even where, where, as low as he goes, uh, even there he knows that there is a reality bigger than his trouble. You see that in verse 10. You'll skip down to verse 10. Uh, even when his anxiety is sort of shrinking his world, so all he can think about is this affliction he's going through, even when it means he doesn't trust anyone else around him. He says in uh, verse 11, if you flick to verse 11, um, I trusted the Lord even when I said I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm I said, everyone's a liar. Even then, the start of verse 10, even then I trusted in the Lord. I trusted the Lord. Um, it's a little different from how we sometimes think about this, isn't it? Uh, Christians can sometimes talk as if even to experience this kind of anxiety shows this lack of faith. 
Uh, and the impression is that you get is that you should basically just float through, through life unaffected by any troubles, right? But that's not the picture you get here. Uh, real faith, real trust in this God is exercised not floating above struggle and trial, but in the middle of it, in the middle of struggle and trial. He is someone who is brought low and feels it and knows it, and even then, in the bottom of the pit, even then he knows that there is someone who will turn his ear to him, who will hear his cry for mercy. From verse 3, the cords of death entangled me, the anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. This God that he knows... Uh, is this is the God who heard him, who saved him, who gave him rest, who bent his ear towards him. Um, so in verse seven, the writer here does what we see is what we've already seen, you know, throughout the Psalms. Uh, he instead of just listening to himself, he talks to himself. If you remember that, the writer does that in verse seven. He, he reminds himself of things that are bigger than his troubles of things that are bigger than his circumstances, of realities that are deeper than any pit that he finds himself in. Verse 7, he speaks to himself, Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. God has brought him into rest. Um, Isn't that wonderful? He tells himself to return to that rest. He knows he's prone to wander from it. Uh, but God hasn't just brought him to rest. He's, he's saved him for a purpose. You get that as you read on in verse 8. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. God has saved him not only to bring him out of something, but to bring him into something. He has a purpose that he might walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He, the guy who's writing this psalm, he knows that life can't go on as it always has. God has saved him, picked him up, put him back on his feet so that he would then walk before him in the land of the living, so that he would live his, eyes, his, his life with his eyes fixed on the God who has been so good to him. While we're on um, early colonial history, there's another great story about a convict called Joseph Samuels. Uh, he, he was a bit of a nasty character, got into a brawl. He was sentenced to death by hanging, uh, except this, something remarkable happened to this guy, Samuels. He, uh, the first time he was strung up, the rope broke. Um, so they put him up again. The second time, the rope unwound itself, and so he could just sort of prop himself up on his feet, you know, it sort of unraveled itself a bit. And unbelievably, the third time, the rope snapped again. 
Uh, so they thought, we can't keep going on this. They, the word got to the governor, and this guy Samuels was given an, an official reprieve. Uh, and the, the newspaper write-up of this at the time, um, it finished the story with these words. May the grateful remembrance of these events direct his future course. May the grateful remembrance of these events direct his future course. It was such an unexpected, extraordinary thing to happen, the salvation of this guy, Joseph Samuels, that people expected it would change his life. He'd be a changed man. Um, The tragic story is that uh, he he didn't do that at all for Samuels. From all reports, he just went back to his old ways. Uh, And we know that's not right, right? We know that the grateful remembrance of those events should have changed his future course. It should have changed him. It did for the writer of this psalm. Um, He finishes his psalm not just thanking God for the salvation that he has experienced, but with this kind of reorienting of his whole life, this rededication to the Lord who saved him. And here's the the verse we started with, verse 12. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? Uh, It's not the question that we sometimes ask or that others think Christians ask. He's not asking what can I do for God in order to get enough spiritual brownie points so that he'll be good to me. That's not his question. He knows that the only way to relate to God is not by trying to be good in order to earn his favour. This is the question of someone who has been showered with undeserved grace and it's changed his life. But there's another, actually, it's a a more subtle way that we can get this question wrong um, sometimes. Uh, He's also not asking, how can I kind of pay God back in a bit of a kind of tit-for-tat, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of a way. He is not thinking, well, God has given me X amount, so I need to figure out how to give back to him X amount plus a bit of interest. You know? um, to think like that would be really to totally misunderstand what's going on. This is the cry of someone who knows he has nothing in himself. He knows he has nothing to offer. He knows he could never pay God back for the goodness that he has given him. Uh, But this is the cry of someone who has been given everything freely by God's grace. What God has done is so huge, so complete, so utterly out of his control that he can never pay him back. That's what grace is. It's free, it's undeserved, and it's huge, and you can never kind of pay it back in this mechanical way where you measure how much you've got so that you give, give the same back with interest. Um, It can't be sort of paid back in that way, but it can be returned. It can be returned with the free sacrifice and praise of a grateful heart. What can I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? Not in a way to kind of twist his arm or to try and sort of level the ledger, Um, but as this free response of a grateful heart. He goes on with this image of a cup of salvation in verse 13. Um, 
In the Old Testament sacrificial system, there was this, something that, we, that gets called a thank offering where precious liquid would be poured out uh, as an offering, a recognition that everything was from God's goodness to them and giving thanks to him. Um, verse 13, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. I just sort of an aside on that verse, I don't think that means that God delights in the death of his people. That's not what he's getting at. It's, but actually it's the opposite, that God counts the death of his people a costly thing, a, a, something that he doesn't pass over lightly. It's his, their life is precious to, to him. That, um, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Verse 16 he goes on with this reorientation of his life. Truly I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you. There's that thank offering image. Uh, and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, Jerusalem, praise the Lord. It is a remarkable psalm, isn't it? This, um, uh, this picture of the grateful heart uh, that knows where it's come from, that knows the reality of God's goodness to it, and that knows it, it can't go on the same way, uh, that knows that life will always be different. Uh, the psalm, uh, it, it became part of the regular worship of the uh, people in the Old Testament, the people of Israel in Old Testament times. It was part of a group of psalms that was read out every year when they'd celebrate the Passover, uh, remembering God's greatest act of deliverance, his greatest salvation. And you can see why, right? Um, this prayer of one man who was miraculously saved from death was like this picture of the great salvation that God had won for his people um, through bringing them out of Egypt uh, into the land. And it, it was a model of, uh, this psalm was like a model of this thankful response to God for his goodness to them. Um, it, it's really, uh, so, uh, this, we're not told this explicitly, but it's highly likely that Jesus and his disciples sang this psalm as they were gathered together on the night he was betrayed. Um, they ate this Passover meal together, we're told, which Jesus used to put in place a new meal, the kind of symbolic meal that we're going to share in later, the Lord's Supper, that points to the greater and eternal exodus that the first exodus was always a shadow of, uh, this great new salvation of God where he would fully and finally bring his people out of their slavery to their greatest enemies, to sin and evil and to death itself. That's remarkable, isn't it, that Jesus would have prayed this psalm just before he himself went to the cross. It's through the gospel of Jesus, friends, that we know actually just how precious, 
how costly the death of his people was to God, what lengths he would go to to save them so that they would walk before him in the land of the living, not just for a few extra years in this life, but into eternity in a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more crying or sadness or sickness or death. That's how much it cost our God to do that. For God to Father, the Father to bring this greater exodus about would cost the life of his own eternal and beloved Son. And for Jesus to take up the cup of salvation meant, well, it meant for him that he would let the cords of death entangle him. That he would face death for us in our place. The, the precious liquid on that night that was poured out was his blood. The New Testament takes this and kind of this reality of this psalm and given the hugeness of what Jesus did, kind of transposes it to a new key or puts it on a new level. Um, we don't offer sacrifices like the Israelites did. They were signs pointing towards the great eternal and once for all sacrifice of Jesus in our place to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. We lift up the cup of salvation, not to offer it in a temple, but as the cup of the new covenant through Jesus' own blood. We lift it up not to pour it out, but to drink it ourselves in the gathering of his redeemed people, the church. Friends, this is a psalm of someone who was delivered from death. Some of us have experienced that. Um, I know that uh, uh, there are numbers in this room who have um, at least in some measure experienced that reality of what this guy went through. The psalm gives us words to thank God and re-examine our lives in the light of his deliverance. It's good for us to do that, if that's you. Uh, to acknowledge where, where God has answered your prayer and has delivered you out of trouble. But you don't have to have had a near-death experience for you to pray this psalm as well. Um, there will be times when God doesn't answer our prayer in the way we'd want. And eventually, uh, in this broken world, until Jesus returns, uh, eventually we will all feel the cords of death surround us and not let us go. The psalm is not a promise that everyone who experiences any suffering and sickness will be delivered from it in this life. That may happen, and praise God when it does. But in the light of the whole of the Bible's story, what this psalm does point us to is the greater deliverance, the eternal salvation that is ours through Jesus. It points us to the promise that even in this life, even though those cords will eventually bind us, the gospel points us to the reality that they, they couldn't hold Jesus down that he burst them open and he's defeated death and that everyone who trusts in him will share in his victory. The gospel declares that to us, friends. It declares to us the reality of our deepest need. Um, declares to us that because of our sin, we face a spiritual death that is even more frightening than what this man faced. 
Uh, perhaps one reason we don't share this psalmist's thankful heart, um, perhaps one reason is that, uh, not just that we're suspicious Aussies, um, but perhaps one reason that we don't share his thankfulness is just we forget that. We forget the terror and distress of sin and the death that it brings. This psalm shows us this heart that's warmed because of God's grace and his salvation, his salvation from physical death. And those who have been in that situation will tell you there's nothing like facing that to make you appreciate the, just how scary that is and how precious it is to be saved from it. But even that is a, just a shadow of deeper realities, of the greater terror of sin and its consequences, but also of the far greater relief that the gospel brings for all those who will receive it. Friends, if you're not a Christian with us, we love having you here. Um, through Jesus, there is rest for your soul. Real, true, eternal rest and hope and peace if you will receive it. Those of us who are Christians, this psalm is an invitation today. It's an invitation for you both to return to that rest yourself right now as we gather together as God's people and through the week. It's an invitation to return to to your rest and to let that grace that you have received through Jesus shape you Uh, to let it shape you so much that in thankful response you can ask, what will I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? Can we pray? Gracious God, we can never fathom or get to the bottom of just how good you have been to us. Regardless of what um, circumstances we face in this life, you have showered your kindness and love to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death and resurrection, um, for his sacrifice in our place for us that brings us into your family. And um, Father, we pray that you'll keep us, from, keep us from becoming cold to the preciousness of that. Lord, we pray that we might be able to pray this psalm ourselves, even with greater depth and clarity than the, the first people who prayed this psalm because of what you have done for us through Jesus. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.